Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Did you do the editing on that? I thought, I thought you did, uh, Chris. So Chris, who is our pianist, did the editing on that. I didn't notice until this time around uh, that when, you had the al- when they had the alligator on Barb's head and you did a close-up that you did the, s- the sparkle in the alligator's eye, like, this is fun. <laughs> That was, uh, that was great. Good job. Good job, Chris. Well, good morning. Great to see you all this morning. So glad to have you here. Um, I know there are some more folks back who have been um, absent for a while, and uh, it's so wonderful to welcome you back to, uh, to church, to North Sound. Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and we have a, a special treat for all of the ladies lined up uh, for next week. I hope you'll join us for that. And uh, today we are going to continue in our non-series of one-off sermons, and today we're going to be talking about uh, God's will, how to find God's will for our lives, and then we're going to have uh, an opportunity to have fellowship around the communion table, and then just like the early church did, uh, we have an opportunity to eat together afterwards. Um, Pastor Finney, before you leave, could you... is Rachel in a place where you could lift her up for everybody to see? So this is the newest addition to the North Sound family. And this is Rachel. Is it Rachel Finney? Is that right, Joanne? Rachel Finney Phillip. I would ask you to get her out, wouldn't I? There she is. It's uh, it's great, folks. Oh, Joanne, you got to walk her up here because the folks that are watching online can't see her. Okay, so can you you or Finney bring her up here just so that everybody can see Rachel? I know you like being the star of the show, uh, Joanne. But <laughs> okay, Dan, when you got when you got her in uh, in focus, you can let us know. There she is. So, folks that are watching the live stream, we want you to see this little one. Yep, she's a cutie. Well, we'll have an opportunity to see more of this family soon. She has an older brother, John, and she has an older sister, Hannah, and now an older brother. Nathan's not the youngest anymore uh, as well. Thank you, Joanne, for bringing her forward. And uh, welcome again to our live streaming folks. Um, I was amazed, you know, at Easter we had a full house, uh, but the latest count on, uh, on, on YouTube that I saw was just about 250 folks who watched the service online. So um, that's a pretty great turnout in terms of both the room here and who was watching online. So thank you, those of you that are watching online and those of you that are Watching online because pajamas and coffee is good, and not because you're worried about COVID. We would love to have you uh, come and join us. Uh, it would be uh, it would be great. We do have coffee here, and now we're serving food again. So uh, it's a great morning. 
Okay, well, let's get into God's Word. Those of you that uh, may be guests today, uh, our worship time at North Sound isn't just one song, but when we have communion, which we will do later, um, we have the talk first, and then we have uh, communion and worship uh, after that. So once again, welcome. It's so good to have you with us. Some of you may remember the name Paul Walterman. Paul uh, did a prayer seminar here at North Sound in the early days of our church, and uh, Paul related an experience uh, of a gentleman who was a young boy in the hills of Tennessee. And he was at an old general store. And I think you can picture this old general store. Um, the general stores in the south have that porch, right? And uh, the supports for the overhang on the porch. And I mean, everybody in the south used to have a porch with no air conditioning, right? So that's the general store. And there's a couple of old guys that have their knives out and some wood, you know, and they're, they're doing this. And so the young man that Paul's talking about comes upon these fellows sitting there with the pile of shavings on the floor, and he said, you've been doing that all day, and you ain't made nothing. And one of the old guys responded and said, well, we're whittling. Whittling is you, when you take something and make nothing. Carving is when you take nothing and you make something. And, you know, I thought that's the most incredible picture of the difference between the enemy of our souls, the kingdom of evil, and the kingdom of God. Because the enemy of our souls wants to take us who are something in God's eyes and make nothing out of us. And in the kingdom of God... God wants to take sinners, all of us who have failed in one way or another, and take us from nothing and make us into something. Isn't that a great picture of the two kingdoms? God doesn't whittle with our lives. He carves. He turns nothing into something. So one of the great questions we have as followers of Jesus is how do we let him do this? How do we cooperate with Jesus when he wants to carve in our lives, when he wants to make something out of us, when he wants to make something out of nothing? What do we do? What's our part? What's our role? And, and the subsequent question of that then is, how do we know and understand what God's will for our lives is moving forward? Often we become most concerned when we think about the will of God when we're young with relationships, like um, who, who am I going to marry, or what school am I going to attend, uh, am I going to go to the University of Washington, or am I going to go to Washington State University? So I want to do a straw poll. How many think this individual should go to Washington State University? Come on, come on. How many of you think that this individual should go to the University of Washington? <laughs> Whoa. John Taylor, are you in this service? <laughs> okay. Sorry, Coog. If the Coogs were here and were too embarrassed to put up your hand, I'm sorry. We're a, we're a, we're a, I just want you to know this is a diverse culture here. And <laughs> Coogs, we're inclusive and Coogs are welcome here at North Sound Church. I just want you to know that. So we also wonder about uh, careers. 
What are we going to do in terms of uh, our careers? But then as we get older, there are other things like geography. Are we going to live here or are we going to live here? Or as we get older and we think about retirement, the question is, do we stay here? Do we, do we commute down as uh, snowbirds down to Southern California or Arizona or Hawaii? Or um, what about moving by the grandchildren? Uh, Lawrence and Carol, if you're watching online, they just made a decision. They've been living here at Point Edwards. They said, uh, you know what, we're going to move to North Carolina where the grandchildren are. There are those kinds of decisions, but how do we make these kinds of decisions in our lives? Not only the big ones, but many small decisions in our lives. We want discernment. We want to know, God, what would you have me do? What kind of a decision should I make in this particular circumstance? So we know that we should surrender to God's will, but many of us are afraid of what he might ask us if we surrender to his will. We wonder what will happen to our lives if we put his will ahead of our will. Some of us need a truck to kind of hit us uh, to sort of help us with this, and others of us may be pondering it all the time. What, What is God's will for our lives? I think the desire to do God's will is good. To see our lives and our purpose from his perspective is good, but how do we get there? And that's the substance of our talk today. In Ephesians 5, Paul says these words, which are essentially our text. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how do we do this? How do we understand what the will of the Lord is? So today I'm going to offer seven pieces of insight in understanding or how we can understand God's will for our lives. And I like the word discernment. I like the word discernment because we often in our lives with uh, fast food and other things, we kind of want to know what God's will is for our lives like this. But normally, especially in the bigger things, it's a process of discernment. And what I want to suggest is, I'm going to offer seven things, and what I want to suggest with them is that the important thing with these seven ways of getting input into our lives regarding God's will has to do with um, how they line up, that is, how they align. Do these seven inputs into our lives regarding God's will align with the same kind of an answer? If they align with the same kind of an answer, we have a pretty good idea of where God may be directing us. If they don't align, we may need to pause and discern a little bit more. John has a photo here of a a car tire of a car uh, that uh, is out of alignment. And what happens with alignment is that the car is designed to, the wheels are designed to go straight ahead like this as the car goes straight ahead. But if somebody hits a curb really hard or damages the frame or other things, what happens is the wheel gets slightly off, so the car goes forward, but the wheel goes like this, and you see this kind of wear because there isn't alignment. What we want to have is alignment in our lives, alignment around these seven things to get a sense of the true direction that God would have us to go. So we're going to start with the first one, which was to get off to the right start. The psalmist talks about getting off to the right start and making decisions by reminding us that as we approach God's will for our lives, 
It is first of all, not about decision making, but it's first of all about relationship. We begin understanding God's will by understanding God, by being in a relationship with him. And it's out of relationship then that we ask God to help us discern the right path, the right decision. Psalm 37 puts it this way. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So we need to be living in a right relationship with God. And one of the things we're going to do here in a few minutes when we have communion is take a moment to examine our relationship with God vertically and our relationship with others horizontally. Because when stuff comes into our lives, it can interfere with our relationship with God. If we're actively involved in doing stuff that is not helpful, that's not good for us, we call it sin, uh, it's really hard when we're actively involved with that to hear God's voice clearly because we've kind of clouded up the communication in terms of hearing God's voice and what he wants us to do. And so it's important for us to hear God's will, to do what he wants, to do what his will is for our lives. We have to recognize, first of all, that we're in relationship with God, and he is at work in the lives of every one of us in the situation that we find ourselves in right now. Second thing I want to suggest is that we have the right expectations. I think it's really important for to us to have the right expectations of how God's will for our lives actually works. John has a couple of uh, pictures here, and one of them is a blueprint. And, and a blueprint is what an architect produces for someone to be able to build a house or a, a, a building, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Most things, an airplane, most things begin with a blueprint. Now, there are those people that say, I want to know God's blueprint for my life, but I want to suggest that I think that's probably not the best metaphor or the best picture. Because a blueprint suggests the fact that if God has a blueprint for our lives, if we mess up and we do something not according to the blueprint and God had a blueprint that was set up for our lives, we're now in trouble because we've missed it. If you, you, you marry the wrong person, if you go to the wrong school, if you have the wrong occupation, um, if you make some big mistake, have some kind of failure in life, you have to live with the knowledge that you've blown it, that you've blown by God's blueprint for your life, and there's, there's nothing you can do. A far better picture of understanding God's will for our lives, I believe, is the scroll and the reason is that God's will for our lives is dynamic. It works with us in the circumstances of our lives. So if you notice how the scroll is open, we are able to deal with what God is doing in our lives right in this moment. We have an interaction and a relationship with him in this moment. And we have some understanding of our circumstances in this moment. And the the decisions that we make in this moment will affect the unrolling of the scroll into the future. And so we have this wonderful opportunity in relationship with God to be able to influence with him 
the direction of the future as the scroll continues to unfold. And there's no such thing then as ultimately violating the blueprint because the future part of the scroll for our lives has not yet been written in our relationship with God. So God will take even our worst mistakes, our worst failures, and he's not the author of those. He's not the author of those mistakes. He's not the author of sin, but he will take our worst sins, our worst mistakes, and if we allow him to and we deal with them properly, he will use them for good as the scroll unrolls into the future. So, friends, we need to have the right expectation of how God's will works in our lives. I love the story of the potter in Jeremiah 18. In this passage, he talks about Israel. He talks about nations and kingdoms. But it clearly applies to individuals as well. What he talks about here, and I'm going to read it in just a moment, what he talks about is the potter taking clay and throwing it on the potter's wheel and working it. And then when something doesn't work quite the way it's supposed to be, he starts over again and he continues to mold it into something beautiful. Friends, that's what he does with our lives. Chapter 18 of Jeremiah The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will tell you, there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I would build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of all the good that I had intended to do to it. If you think of somebody lost in the woods, and they need to get out desperately, they don't have food and and water, what they are going to do is they're going to look for signs that are going to help them get out of the circumstances they're in. They'll watch for the sun rising and setting to determine where east and west is. They'll look for moss by the trees, and the moss will give them some idea of where the shade is, and they will begin to look at all of these signs and begin to make their way out eventually to find their way out of the woods. God deals with us where we are at right now. He gives us signs along the way. And if we move in faith, he will lead us to the place he wants us to be, but it takes one step at a time. The third principle I want to suggest is about principles. It's that we follow the right principles. God's word, the Bible, gives us most of what any of us need to know about God's will for our lives. We do well to simply follow the scriptures. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. I often 
pray those words when completing a sermon because we have just looked at God's word, we've opened his word, and now we want to apply that word to our lives. And so in the darkness of some of the days of our lives, we have the light from the scripture to show us the way, a lamp for our feet, a light for our pathway. And again, notice that it's a journey. It's a journey that we take with the word as our guide, as a light to help us to find our way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Some things in the scripture are so very clear, we don't need to, we don't need to ponder whether it's God's will or not. In in the, uh, the Lenten, a series that we did, we looked at the Ten Commandments. You don't have to pray, Lord, should I commit adultery or not? Right? That, that's not something that you need to discern. Lord, should I lie? Lord, should I steal? Lord, should I take your name in vain? Lord, should I covet my neighbor's stuff? That, that's, not, that's not, it doesn't take rocket science or uh, exegetical prowess to understand around these things what God's will is and what God's will is not. The word is very important, but we have to be careful how we apply it to our lives. There's an old preacher story. It goes back either decades or Dick, it might go back, uh, uh, might go back centuries. Um, but it's the guy who wanted to have God's insight into a particular situation. And so he decided that God would give him insight if he closed the Bible, closed his eyes, opened the Bible, put his finger down, opened his eyes. It didn't work out the way he had intended. He did that and put his finger down. And the word that he got was Judas went out and hanged himself. And he thought, well, that's not so good. And so he closed it up, closed his eyes, opened the word, put his finger down, opened his eyes, and it said, and you go do the same. <laughs> and he did it one more time and, uh, and, you know, closed his eyes, closed the scripture, opened the scripture, put his finger down, opened his eyes, and it said, and what you do, do quickly. <laughs> Friends, we have to be careful we have to be careful of that kind of, of, uh, of the application of that sort of thing. So I have to say that there are probably some of us in here that God has put a verse on your heart or you have done something similar to what I have mentioned and God has spoke to you. And, and, and that could very well happen. But as a general rule, as a general rule, we need to understand the context in which God is speaking to us through the word so that we don't misunderstand or misapply a word that was given uh, and apply it to our lives in a way that, that really doesn't fit the intention of the author. Number four is to listen to the right voice. Listen to the right voice. So praying for God's direction is vital to understanding, but we also need to listen. We need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, Jesus talks about him leaving and leaving the Holy Spirit behind. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So if we're going to wait upon the Lord for guidance, we need to be able to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to receive direction from him. And 
the Holy Spirit tends not to draw attention to itself, so the whole, himself. So the Holy Spirit will tend to impress us with something. It, it may be a thought in the middle of the night when, when we're in that quiet place and we're meditating on the day to come or the future or a circumstance in our lives and, and something comes into our hearts or our minds. He might confirm something in our hearts, something that has been growing over time that the Spirit confirms in maybe by someone speaking to us to confirm that. It may be through a scripture verse that confirms that. But the Spirit should be active in each one of these steps of guidance. Remember that Jesus made it a regular practice to find solitude. Why did he find solitude? He found solitude to pray and to listen to God. And in our busy lives, one of the great challenges we have, I think it partly has to do with um, social media, with the devices that all of us have, um, that, that if, if it's interesting if you ever notice a line up of people either, uh, either in a picture, like they're lining up to get vaccinated, or a line up somewhere else, uh, just about everybody in the line is on the phone, right? We, when we have a spare moment, what do we do? We, we pull out our phone. When we're in a waiting room, what do we do? We pull out our phone. And the point is, is that we don't have in our lives, many of us don't build into our lives this time of quiet, a time of meditation, a time of solitude that Jesus had in the first century with no devices. He took time to hear the voice of the Father through the Spirit, and we need to do that as well. The fifth thing I want to suggest is that we seek the right counsel. There's much wisdom dispensed by the book of Proverbs Proverbs 15 says this, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. When we face important decisions, it's important to get some advisors around us, godly people who may have just experience in life. They they may be older folks who have lived through the kinds of decisions that we're facing and could provide some insight. It may be people who have particular expertise in the area that we're going to be looking at that we can touch base with. But what's said here is that as we face decisions, important decisions in our lives, don't be afraid to bring people around you who can help you address that decision and see things that perhaps you didn't see before. Number six is that we need to use the right thinking. The Bible is not a highfalutin book that you can't understand. There are some passages, there is some theology that sort of are head scratchers, and uh, we have to think about, and at some point we say, well, I'm not quite sure. Um, I think it may mean this, but I'm not quite sure. But in general, the vast majority of the Scripture is pretty straightforward, and its lessons are pretty straightforward. We see this clearly in Paul's letter to First and Second Timothy and to Titus. He dispenses very, very practical advice to the church leaders. He basically says, use your mind, do the appropriate thing. For example, young Timothy had some health issues. And Paul says to him, don't just drink water, but take some wine medicinally for the stomach trouble that you're having. Um, that wasn't brilliant eschatological insight on Paul's part. It was just the common sense thing to do that he was giving Timothy permission to do was to get the help that he needed. 
Some of you may have heard the name Dawson Trotman. He founded the Navigators, and he was a great man of faith. He put this truth very well when he said, the Lord gave you a lot of leading when he gave you a brain. The Lord gave you a lot of leading when he gave you a brain. Why is it that we so often want God to reveal his will to us in a strange way, an extraordinary kind of way? Does it have to be illogical or strange for it to be God's will? Do we need to have names and places drop into our head out of the blue for it to be something from God? Do we need goosebumps to affirm that something is of supernatural origin? Friends, God knew what he was doing when he made us with the brain. And the Creator created us in such a way that we're able to make judgments and decisions based upon the facts that are in front of us. There's nothing unspiritual about examining the facts, having a list of pros and cons. There's nothing wrong with thinking about the decision that you need to make. And perhaps there will be some clarity with common sense, the common sense that God gave you. It doesn't have to be extraordinary to be from God. And finally, as we get ready for communion, I want to suggest that we consider the right circumstances. Consider the right circumstances. So we've likened understanding God's will not to a blueprint that's set in time, space and time, but is rather a scroll that unfolds that is affected by the circumstances of our lives. I think God uses circumstances of our lives to guide us one step at a time. This doesn't mean that when a, a door closes, we accept it as being closed. A, a door that closes may mean we need to push on it a little bit, but the point is, is that there are circumstances of life through which God guides us in our decision-making. Circumstances help us to find and obey God's will but we have to be careful about making them the only thing by which we discern God's will. Paul had a very interesting experience along this line. He was really bright. He was trained uh, by the school of Gamaliel. Um, he, uh, we, we find, you know, was, was a the guy that wrote much of the New Testament. He could argue with the philosophers in Athens. And he had a strategic plan for reaching the then-known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if his plan was written down anywhere, but we see his plan clearly in the book of Acts and in his writings. And his plan was to go through Turkey, in those days Asia Minor, go through Turkey, and, uh, and he would go into a town or a city and he would go directly to the synagogue of Jews because he was Jewish. And he would teach them that the Messiah for which they looked forward to was actually found in Jesus Christ. And he would preach that message and then typically he would get kicked out of the synagogue. And some of those in the synagogue were interested in what he had to say and others were not, but typically it ended up in him getting kicked out of the synagogue. And then he would either go into a home or into a hall of some kind 
And those that were interested in hearing more about Jesus being the Messiah would then come and join him and eventually Gentiles as well. He did this all through Asia Minor, through Turkey. And then when he got into um, the northwest of Turkey, he was going to go into what they called in those days Asia. It's not Asia as we know it today. But the Lord spoke to him essentially in a dream and said that someone from Macedonia was giving a call and saying, come over and help us. And so he changed his plans completely Instead of going up into Asia, which is where he thought he should go, he crossed the Aegean there and, uh, or Adriatic, I forget which, and found his way into Macedonia and fulfilled then the calling of God as he went down into the various cities in Greece. Paul had a specific plan, he had a strategic plan, but he was open to God's Spirit changing that and moving in a different direction as necessary. So friends, we've considered these seven indicators of God's direction for our lives. I want to remind you as I close once again of the power of alignment. This is not a mathematical formula, but if you take the seven things we've talked about and they all align around the answer to discernment to a decision that you believe God would have for you to make, as they align, there is a greater sense that God's will may be in this very decision. But if they don't align, maybe you're called to pause. Maybe you're called for more discernment around what God's will may be in a specific circumstance. Some of us may find that or feel that if we surrender to the will of God, if we hate the cold, he's going to send us to the Arctic. If we hate the heat, he's going to send us to the tropics. But the point of this is to understand that God loves us. This whole thing begins with God's love and that God wants the best for us. And that when I was in the South, I learned the expression surrender to the call of God. It meant that someone was going to be in ministry because they surrendered to the call of God. And, and, it, and it sets up this idea that, oh, you know, surrender, typically we don't think of as a good thing, right? And surrender to the call of God, maybe I could have had a wonderful life, but now I'm going to have to surrender and be a preacher or something. Um, the, the point of this, the point that I'm trying to make is that Because God loves us and wants the best for us, his desire for each one of us is to flourish. His desire for each one of us is to experience his love and his joy and his peace. They are the first pieces of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He wants to give us abundant, fulfilled, fruitful living. And so his will for our lives is going to align with someone who loves us, who wants us to experience love and joy and peace in our lives, because Jesus declared God's will for each one of us when he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. There's a funny thing about God's will. What we discover about God's will is that when we surrender the leadership of our lives to Him, we find that we surrender the leadership of our lives to one that we can trust. 
And when we do that, we find the place of comfort that God has for us in our lives. I close with a a very brief clip about experiencing comfort and leadership in our lives. Let's watch together. What we're doing here today is being able to show this little paint horse that you see running around behind us that it can get two questions that it constantly asks answered. The two questions this horse is constantly asking is where can it find comfort and where does its leadership come from? So Abby Hornus is going to become the center of this project and will become the source of leadership and comfort for this horse. What we're doing with this mare is trying to teach this horse to find and seek comfort. That it can run around all over this arena and try to find the two things it's looking for. It's looking for leadership and it's looking for comfort. And what we're doing with this mare is teaching her how to find that leadership and comfort. We're telling her comfort is not over there because if you go over there, I'm gonna make you keep moving. If you go over there, I'm gonna make you keep moving. And we're letting this horse find comfort and leadership in the form of Abby in the center of the arena. How long it takes this horse to find that comfort and leadership is entirely up to the horse. There is not comfort by this barrel. There is not comfort down on that end by Jackie. There is not comfort turning and looking toward me. Not there, not there. Let this horse find where comfort is and let it seek and find its leadership and its comfort by finding Abby. And now the teachable moment is completed. No pressure is now being put on the horse. The two questions about where its leadership comes from and where its comfort is has been answered. And now wherever Abby goes, as long as she supplies the leadership with her body language and her demeanor, that horse is glad to follow because it is the most comfortable thing that horse can be doing right now is submitting to the leadership of Abby. Yeah. Friends, let's pray together as we close. Lord, we recognize that when we seek your will for our lives, that when we find it, it's because we've surrendered to your leadership. And Lord, when we do that, we find the place of not only your leadership in our lives, but also that place of comfort that you have for each one of us. Lord, I ask today that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, all of us from time to time seek your will in decisions great and small. Help us, Lord, to understand what the will of the Lord is and to do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to prepare our hearts for uh, communion here, and as I mentioned earlier, the way that we do that is to make sure that our relationship with the Lord vertically is where it should be, and that our relationship with others horizontally is where it should be. And so uh, I invite you in the quietness of your own hearts in just a moment to 
look at that relationship, and if something has come into your relationship with God to deal with that, we call it confession and repentance. And if something has come into your relationship horizontally to be able to deal with that in the same way as well. I'm going to invite you to stand because God has forgiven us in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so we can experience His forgiveness and forgive others. So I'm going to ask you in the quietness of your own hearts to take a moment and let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Let's join together in the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and earnestly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of his great mercy hath promised forgiveness of sins to all who with hearty repentance and true faith turn unto him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The words that were used to institute the communion service are given to us by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he referred back to the Last Supper of Jesus with the disciples. And this is what he said. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Gracious God, it is with joy and gratitude that we come before you this morning. We acknowledge that you are worthy of our praise and our allegiance. In the midst of our weeks, you have been present, and we thank you for caring about us and our daily activities, our thoughts, and our attitudes. In our uncertainty, thank you for your certainty and your assurance to us that we are never out of your sight. Gracious God, we are reminded in Isaiah 55 that as the rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth, your word is spoken to us to accomplish what you desire in our lives and in our communities and in the world. Lord God, we live in the hope that you are speaking into this world today and your words are accomplishing that which you purpose. 
we pray that you will attune our hearts to you so that we are your mouthpiece, your spokespersons in word and deed to what you are doing in the world and in our particular context. Gracious God, we lift our heavy hearts up to you with the cares that we are bearing for friends and family who are suffering, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. Lord, we pray for peace and wholeness that passes all understanding in body, soul, mind, and spirit. Jesus, revive our spirits that we might live with joy and hope. And Lord, we pray for your children around the world who are suffering in ways that we are unable to comprehend. Meet them in your infinite and unfailing love and give them the courage to endure and the provision they need to flourish. Help us be partners in their recovery and flourishing, we pray, and show us what that looks like for each one of us. Gracious God, give us eyes to see what you are doing in, through, and around us, and hearts that are yielded to you, that we might be your hands and feet in the places you put us for your glory. And now we pray with our sisters and brothers around the world and across the generations the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you would remain standing for just a moment. Uh, Several years ago, we had a memorial service here, and a lady from the United Kingdom came. And uh, having experienced worship at North Sound, she uh, was uh, describing us as a happy, clappy church. And I think uh, uh, some of you fit the bill for that this morning. Um, But we are delighted that you are here. Thank you for joining us. If you're a guest, remember the... Um, that on your way out, if you do a Connect card, we can send you the, the weekend news, which kind of updates you about stuff that's going on at North Sound. Next Sunday, Pastor Nancy will be speaking for Mother's Day. We look forward to that, and there will be a gift for all of the ladies at church next Sunday. And Pastor Jessica and Pastor Nancy will be available for prayer uh, after the service this morning. If any of you would like prayer, please feel free to uh, to come forward for that. For the rest of us, um, our regular tithes and offerings are done in an offering box at the back. But if you um, would like to give for a benevolence offering for folks who have financial needs, um, there's an offering plate back there. You can just voluntarily put something in there if you would like to. Um, there's also a basket for your communion cups if you'd like to take those out. We have a wonderful treat for you today, and uh, it will be available Uh, Pretty much immediately, the doors will open in the kitchen area there, and we invite everyone to stay uh, to have something to eat before heading home for the afternoon. Um, If you could use this aisle over here to line up, sorry folks, over here you kind of got to make your way around, and then you can eat anywhere in the lobby or in here or outside, there are a couple of benches, whatever works for you. Let's be dismissed now with God's blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day.